When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and I answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where I take what's happening today and try to relate it to what's happening in the Bible, most notably. Today we're looking at the enigmatic book called Ecclesiastes, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, that's where you'll find it. Uh, Worth a read. It's got a lot of wisdom in it, and also a lot of really freaky statements. So be ready. Um, Check it out. The book of Ecclesiastes is um, often held up as a uh, probably the most, if you could put a modern word on it, the most secular of all the books of the Bible. Um, in that, the driving force of the preacher, the Kohelet, the preacher who's preaching this sermon, um, is saying things that just are. He is trying to adjust our expectations for living, uh, and doesn't always come up with a little spiritual twist at the end of everything, kind of like some other books of the Bible might do or be tempted to do. Um, in, a, in a way, this book is the summation of all human wisdom, written by Solomon, a reflection on his life of great wealth and great privilege and great power and great wisdom as well. This is the summation of it. In Proverbs, we have the father-to-son conversation happening. That's sort of the point of Proverbs is that a father speaking to his son, so maybe someone in his 30s talking to someone who's 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, um, that sort of age um, there. But here we have Solomon, much older, reflecting on both the absurdity of life, the vanity of life. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity, he says. All is grasping for the wind. Uh, and so in, these, uh, in this part of the book, he is pointing out that there is a great equalizer that everybody faces, <clears throat> and that is the finitude of life, the shortness and uncertainty of life, and ultimately, the frontier of death, for which no matter how powerful, rich, wise, entrepreneurial, how much we hustle, how much we grind, how much we seek to achieve things, uh, that that death that everybody faces is a great equalizer. Moreover, it is uh, something to actually inform how we live. The fact that we will um, cease to breathe and live the way we live now is a reality that humans have always known. I don't know the first time you found out about death. Perhaps it was the death of a pet or the death of a grandparent or maybe someone else in your family. Sometimes around age three, four, five, six, seven, right in that time, our little minds can sort of wrap our thoughts around something like death and how final it, it is for those who are living. And ever since then, we live with this knowledge 
that we can sort of escape from time to time. We can lose ourself in joy and happiness, but um, every so often that thought that we first thought when we were little and faced with that first death um, comes back to us. And this is what the preacher is preaching on, that all is vanity. The same fate comes to all, to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to those who do all the sacrifices and those who don't. Um, Jesus said the same thing in his sermons. The rain falls on the just and on the unjust. The rain of God, the grace of God, the love of God falls to the earth and blesses everybody, not just good people, but also the people that we don't think of as good. Same sun shines on everybody. Um, And so knowing that means that we should be thankful for the life that we have. If we are alive, you're hearing this today, you have that life and you are alive. And that is a good thing to be. Um, Even in our despair, even in our sometimes extinction impulse, as Freud talked about, that we want our lives to be over. We want our pain and suffering to cease. Even then, it's good to be alive. Better to be a living dog than a dead lion. This kind of very confrontational, practical, uh, sometimes even a little nihilistic um, philosophy and thought and theology is good for us in this way, because it says to try to, we should try to enjoy the moment we have now, that everybody knows we're going to die. And so every time we have an opportunity for joy, we should take it. Um, that is a good and holy thing to do, to not push away from things that make us happy, to not say, well, that's too much happiness for one day. Um, Maybe to say, wow, this is a wonderful thing. And one of the great things about life is that we get to enjoy other people's happiness too. Um, This takes a little more spiritual exercise in our lives sometimes, to enjoy the happiness of others, to really um, see, especially in children, their joy and delight, and to feel that with them. Um, to me, is just a wonderful way to get to what the preacher is trying to call us to. Um, Because we don't really know what death is like. Um, And and the preacher here is preaching before the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It doesn't mean that he doesn't think that there's a resurrection or anything like that. What he is saying is that we are given this one physical life on earth, and just one, as far as he knows. And we ought to have the most happiness we can find. Happiness for the preacher in Ecclesiastes is similar to happiness for the Epicureans of ancient Rome and Greece. Epicureans, we encounter them in the New Testament in the book of Acts, um, shortly after Pentecost, actually. Uh, We encounter Epicureans, and Epicureans are often labeled as Uh, hedonists, that they only live for happiness, pleasure, wild parties, and things like that. But actually Epicurus and his followers said that you ought to live for happiness. You should put happiness as your goal for life. And and studies show, I don't think Epicurus said it this way, that the happiest people are really the most stable people. Um, They are the ones that um, have a little job to do and do it and have a little... um, family love there. Here he talks about 
your wife there and under the sun, your, your little job, your toil under the sun, and just sort of a very quiet and stable life over a long period of time. That's probably the, the secret to happiness more than any other um, get-rich-quick scheme or any other uh, path to happiness. The small pleasures of life seems to be the one that Epicurus and the preacher in Ecclesiastes have made clear that that's probably the best strategy, the most solid way to do that. Of course, real life comes in, and our lives are not always so, uh, so uh, I guess uh, the right word is so stable, um, as the preacher says. And neither was the preacher's. This is Solomon writing this, who had anything but a, a stable life, the way we might think of it, or small life. Um, but what he's saying is this is real wisdom, to look at the joys of life. We, we live either in the past, the present, or the future, as many, many have said. Um, I'm certainly not the first person to say that. And the preacher here is not the first person to say that. Jesus was not the first person to say that, even though it is his teachings on the subject that we follow. That when we look at the past, we ought to see the, our past through the eyes of faith, and we ought to put that lens of faith on and say, I'm going to look at my past now. Um, I'm going to look at it through the eyes of faith and say, whatever happened to me and whatever I did, I'm going to look at it through the eyes of faith and see where God was faithful to me in the past and see where God was faithful to God's people in the past through the, past, the escape from Egypt, through the covenant made with Abraham, through the resurrection of Jesus. God was faithful to his son, Jesus here on this earth and raised him from the dead. And when I look at the past, my past, I'm going to look at it through the eyes of faith. The other option is through the eyes of regret and despair. And that's not such a great way to look at the past, if you must look at the past. And the other way to look at the future, which we all have an imagination that leads us and even tempts us to imagine a future that hasn't happened. When we do that, we have to look through the eyes of hope, the lens of hope. Hope is that lens that changes our future and says, says, I know some difficult things might happen to me ahead. And like the preacher is saying, death is one of those difficult things that's going to happen to every single one of us. Um, but to look at the future through the eyes of hope is a spiritual discipline. To say, there is hope in my future, even if I can't quite grasp what that might be. Um, even in my death, there is hope. There is healing that may happen, and I hope will happen, even as I approach that time, that I will start to make sense of my whole life through the lens of faith. And so if we must look to the future and think about the future, it's good to do it with hope rather than with despair and anxiety and worry. Those are the temptations of the future. And then there's the present, and that is the only place that God lives. God only lives in the unbounded now of the present. That if you want to talk to God, you have to do it in the present. If you want to love, you have to do it in the present. There is no love in the past. There is no love in the future. There's only love right here and now. That's why St. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, Now these abide, faith, hope, faith in the past, hope for the future, and love. But the greatest of these is love, not because love is anything different than those other two, but love is the only thing you can really experience right here, right now, and the only thing you can give right here, right now. 
And so to experience love in the present, to experience God's love and say, I have this life. I may not be a lion. I may be just a puppy, but I'm going to enjoy this puppy life and puppy love in this moment as I experience life with God today. That's what I'm going to enjoy and be happy about today and feel and really feel those that being alive feeling Um, because that's where God is. So eat your bread with enjoyment. Drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has long ago approved of what you do. Let your garments be white. Put oil on your head. Um, Enjoy life with the wife who you love and the days of your vain life that are given under the sun. So enjoy life today. Try that, to sit just for a moment, wherever you are. You see the sun, you see something pretty, something good, and say, wow, I'm here right now. I'm not going to go to the future. I'm not going to go to the past. I'm going to go right here, right now, and be here right now, and look for opportunities to love right here, right now. Amen. And the baptismal covenant is on 304. Do you believe in God, the Father? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God? I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. Do you believe in God, the Holy Spirit? I believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Will you continue in the apostles' teaching and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in the prayers? I will, with God's help. Will you persevere in resisting evil, and whenever you fall into sin, repent and return to the Lord? I will, with God's help. Will you proclaim by word and example the good news of God and Christ? I will, with God's help. Will you seek and serve Christ in all persons, loving your neighbor as yourself? I will, with God's help. Will you strive for justice and peace among all people and respect the dignity of every human being? I will, with God's help. And we turn to page 97. The Lord be with you and also with you. Let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And today is June 7th, a day we remember the pioneers of the Episcopal Anglican Church of Brazil. The presence of Anglicans in Brazil is first recorded in the early 19th century and took the form of chaplaincies for 
English expats who were living there. It was not, though, until 1890 when missionary efforts among Brazilian people began under the care of two Episcopal missionaries, Lucy and Lee Kinsolving and James Watson Morris. They first held a service on Trinity Sunday in 1890 in Porto Alegre. Within a year, three additional missionaries, William Cable Brown, John Gaw Meme, and Mary Packard arrived and joined the work. These five missionaries are the pioneers and considered founders of the Episcopal Anglican Church of Brazil. In 1899, Ken Salving was made missionary bishop for the work in Brazil by the House of Bishops, and in 1907, the Missionary District of Brazil was established by the General Convention. Uh, unlike a lot of um, church planting efforts from in Anglicanism, this was one that started in the American church, not in the England, not in the British um, foreign, uh, not in the British, British run. Society for the Propagation of the Gospel, the SPK, that is the major um, event, uh, church planting arm of the Church of England. This came from the American Church, from General Convention. The bishops raised money from the Episcopal Church and went to serve there in this missionary district. Fifty years after the work began in 1940, the first native Brazilian was elected to the episcopate. Athalcio Athalicio Theodoro Pithon. Um, Athalicio Theodoro Pithon. By 1950, the work had increased to the point that the missionary district was too large and was divided into three dioceses. This set the stage for the continued development of the Church of Brazil, which eventually led to the formation of the Episcopal Anglican Church of Brazil as an autonomous province in the Anglican Communion in 1965, which is pretty cool to that for them to. Um, become completely independent of the American um, church and to be a, their own province, which is pretty cool. The complete financial independence in the Episcopal Church happened in 1982, although the two churches continue to have strong bonds of affection and united mission efforts through companion diocese relationships and coordination. And I don't know for sure, but I think, and I can't remember for sure, and some will have to check this afterwards, but the Kinsolving, who became their first bishop, um, Lucy and Lee Kinsolving, is, is, I believe, related to the bishop Kinsolving, who is buried about, well, from where I'm sitting, about 20 miles um, underneath the, in the crypt at All Saints Episcopal Church that's on the campus of the University of Texas. I believe that Kinsolving there in the dormitory named after him is... Um, a relative of this kinsolving, if I'm not mistaken. I'll look that up when we're done. But we thank God for these early um, pioneers who went out, both men and women, um, as most of the church planting efforts of um, our world have been uh, women and men working together and often women working alone um, in those pioneer ways, even as the church did not allow them to be ordained and church leadership in the um, parts of the world that they considered civilized. Um, they allowed women to go out and plant churches and lead churches um, all around the world, which is the subversive nature of the gospel. The gospel always is empowering people, um, even when the gates have been shut in other places. God always opens other avenues of ministry and leadership, and we're thankful for all the women who have led our church and have established these new churches.
especially Mary um, Packard and her companions. O God, who sent your Son to preach peace to those who are far off and those who are near, we bless you for those who joined together to establish the Episcopal Anglican Church of Brazil. And we pray that we, like them, may be ready to preach Christ crucified and risen and to encourage and support those who, those who pioneer new missions in him, like us, who lives and now reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.